Welcome back to Spooky Mechanics, the only podcast about video games. I'm your co-host Roman Butel, and joining me, as always, is Michaela Bones. Greetings, gamer. I see you. Greetings, gamer. I see you. Today, we're doing a little bit of a spooky combo pack. We're talking all things scary. We're talking about lighthouses. We're talking about summer camp. We're there are other about spooky things, aren't there? Video, video spooky games. Spooky video games, spooky movies, spooky things. It's spooky season. What can you expect? That's right. Have you ever seen The Lighthouse, by the way? I kept thinking of The Lighthouse as I we I played the game we're talking about today for obvious reasons. I, I need to watch The Lighthouse. I have not seen it yet, but uh, it's been on my watch list for a minute, and I've heard many different people tell me that it's, it's one that I should definitely check out and watch, and... Uh, I'll get around to it someday. Maybe it's pretty good. Maybe soon. I invite you to watch it because uh, it's a movie by the fellas for the fellas. But as an ally to fellas everywhere that you are, uh, I, I think you would like it. <laughs> that, that sounds that sounds fair. I think uh, I think that pitch has sold me and I will, <laughs> I will view it soon. I hope you don't mind me saying on our public platform that you support the fellas. You stand with the fellas. <laughs> Uh, Roman putting words in my mouth as always. <laughs> just oh, deciding, so you don't stand with the fellas? Hmm, okay. Deciding, deciding my views for me. No, <laughs> no, all is well. You're anti fella. The, these these fellas are good fellas, and I'm I'm grateful That's a for them movie. to be around. What? Oh, good fellas. That is a different movie. Um, I've seen like the first half of it. I've never seen that. Really? Mm. Yeah, I want to. Well, it feels like a big blind spot. I've seen the first half, so I've got at least half of a good fella more than you. Okay, well, no spell, no spoilers. You got the good. I'll bring the fellas. <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way, did I tell you about my bootleg amiibos? Your bootleg amiibos? Amiibo, yeah. I bought some uh, Splatoon amiibo. I thought you said amiibo. Did I send you the picture? I can't remember. You did send me a picture, and... Uh, I, I like how do, how do bootleg amiibo work do you get anything out of it or is it just like a nice little fun thing to have it's like the opposite where you just get the utility of the amiibo but you don't have the fun thing to put on your desk wait 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 we we should uh, hey nintendo uh go do something else real quick don't listen to this um it's just a this is the talk between friends but we don't want yeah this isn't for you so nintendo go go like pour yourself some water or something before we talk about this I don't want Nintendo to catch you with bootleg products and be mad at you. Know, I thought you were gonna suggest Nintendo make some surprise mechanics amiibo. <laughs> Just little figures of you and me. <laughs> hey Nintendo, you can come back now. We got yeah, a business proposition. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> hey Nintendo, can you make surprise mechanics amiibo? We would, we would, we would work with every game. I swear. Well, so what's interesting though about like the buying. Um, the Splatoon, the fake Amiibo, Nintendo doesn't seem to care because like most things Nintendo related, scalpers just run wild with like, like if I actually wanted to acquire all of the Splatoon Amiibo 
to unlock the items in Splatoon 3, it would be like hundreds of dollars because right. they don't make them anymore. But Nintendo could easily fix that by just mass producing more Amiibo, right? Just make more of the little trinkets. Uh, and I, I bought the Amiibo like just on Amazon. Like I acquired them perfectly <laughs> legally. And, and basically how it works is every Amiibo just has the same code in it. So you can buy an action replay or even I think I think you can even just make them on your phone. But basically people just take the code off that and then program it onto a little chip. Gotcha. I thought that you'd have to go to some sort of black market, some shady website where you could also probably buy other like illicit things and like, mm, do I want to <laughs> like just blast my brain or do I want to get the the bootleg Amiibo? <laughs> well, like I said, I bought them on Amazon, so you're not totally off. That's true. Um, it's also very true that the Amiibo just kind of like go like hotcakes, especially because of scalpers. I remember when Amiibo were first introduced and well, uh, there were just a bunch of empty shelves at all the stores that I went by. Not that yeah. I was trying to get one, but I was just making an observation that, wow, people either really want those or people either really want to upsell those. So, uh, Nintendo right. seems to have a scalping problem that they absolutely really love. And yeah, I, they don't seem to mind at least I, I kind of hate it. Well, hey, uh, one thing that I've been doing recently in the realm of video games is um, our dear friend Connor has found a, a new game that's free to play. It's an early access and it is called Video Horror Society or VHS mm. for short. And uh, if you've played Dead by Daylight, then you might like VHS. It's very similar in its approach where it's like a 4v1 asymmetric multiplayer game. But uh, it's got a few little differences in it, and uh, I've been just playing it with with some friends, and it's been kind of a blast. Um, it's on PC. It is on PC, yes, and uh, I only have like a few hours in it, but uh, I've been enjoying my time. Um, it's one of those games where it might pick up and become really cool as it ebbs and flows through the process of early access, or. You know, it might be another game that we've latched onto that will one day fall by the wayside until we return to it many years later. Um, that is yet to be seen, but for now, it's been a blast. Installing it now? Oh, hell yeah. Anyway, let's talk about lighthouses. Lighthouses? Specifically, who lives under them? Hmm. Well, you know, I heard that no one lives under the lighthouse. And as all of you listening might already know, that is the subject of today's episode. And I think that's a little bit of a lie, or at least something is living under there. Yeah, from the very get-go, it kind of seems like the uh, the developers just flat out lying to us with the title of this game. No one lives under the lighthouse? That really begs the question that someone must live under the lighthouse, right? After all, this is an indie horror game title, uh, and uh, it's uh, it's a bit of a shorter one, but very intriguing and, and, and fun nonetheless, but... You know, if no one lives under the lighthouse, and I guess you're just running and taking care of a lighthouse for the entire game. And I suppose that could be a calming and fun experience. But uh, did you did you ever learn if there was anybody who lived underneath the lighthouse? I think so. Um, I, I saw credits. Uh, and then I, I was reading that there's apparently a couple of different endings. Yes. Uh, why don't you... Give everyone a quick rundown of what this game is, and then uh, we can transition into the suite, and I can tell you what I think happened. All right. Because I still don't know. Yeah, this this game is uh, a small indie horror game, 
and uh, you you really start out as a lighthouse keeper on an island, and your job is to maintain and operate the lighthouse. So um, the game opens with uh, you just going up and doing your job. You got to raise the counterweight to spin the lights and then pour the fuel into uh, the light itself so that it shines brightly. And then shortly after that, uh, something seems to happen to this lighthouse keeper and it cuts to the next day or the next week or, or just sometime in the future. And then another person is rowing a person to the island and saying, previous keeper disappeared. Don't know what happened to him. And then as this new person, your job is to take care of and operate the lighthouse. And as you do so, you just kind of go about your your job, maintaining your home, maintaining the lighthouse, operating the lighthouse every night. But uh, weird things continue uh, to happen uh, to this new lighthouse keeper. And uh, very soon, this calming lighthouse sim turns into a terrifying uh, horror story. And uh, overall, the game has a PS1 type aesthetic to it. I think this game came from the haunted PS1 community, um, so that's kind of a, a you know something you can expect when you when you go to search it. it it's got this old school look that's really fun, and uh, it's just quite weird and um, not linear or straightforward as far as a narrative goes. Mm-hmm. I would dare even say this might be a little bit Lynchian, like Wandavision. Uh, maybe a little bit more Lynchian than that. Oh, hard to even imagine. Hard to imagine what gets more Lynchian than WandaVision, but okay, if you say so. <laughs> uh, yeah, well said. Let's uh, let's go right into the suite. And as you know, the suite is where we talk about the things we liked or loved about No One Lives Under the Lighthouse. And I, I'm just going to broadly say the overall experience I would put in here. I, I did really have a lot of fun playing this game and trying to figure out exactly what's going on. So here's what I think happened. As you said, you arrive at the island and you get pretty familiar with the island. There's a beach. There's the remains of a village as well as a couple other standing buildings, uh, a, a shed, and then your house and, of course, the lighthouse. And um, when you first start, when you're playing as not as your main player character, you can go into the basement of the lighthouse. Did you do this? I did do that. Yeah. And you see a figure in the distance. And as you walk towards it, it, it disappears. Um, but when you get there, essentially in level one, you cannot go into the basement of the lighthouse. Um, and as you play, you start encountering a monster who leaves behind black goo uh, and, and chases you. And eventually you get into the basement of the lighthouse where you see this vast subterranean, almost temple where the creature lives. And here, I think, is where you start jumping through time almost. I think so. Yes. Yeah. There's like a period where you are on the island and the village is alive and well. And it seems like you flash back. Maybe 50 years, maybe 100 years, like a pretty long amount of time. 
Yeah. Um, spoilers. The the flashbacks, they show you that this island used to be inhabited by a small community of people. Uh, there used to be a church and a few other houses and families. And um, you kind of jump back and forth between exploring this subterranean temple area and to the past where it, it's implied that you're also the lighthouse keeper in the past uh investigating something else that's going on um which i read was uh the lighthouse keeper uh his son mysteriously vanished and it's highly suspect that the townspeople might be involved and so uh the kind of gist that i got from this was a a story about a cycle that has yet to be interrupted where the townsfolk either murdered or sacrificed the lighthouse keeper's child he then went into a drunken stupor over the the the, the fact that his child went missing and was trying to discover what happened because y'all are on an island this is a small community not much is going on here so how could this happen and i think when the lighthouse keeper stumbles upon the truth this the townsfolk do something about that and uh where the lighthouse keeper does something about that and and kills them all. And uh, in the course of this becomes a monster. And then with the lighthouse yeah. keeper uh, disappearing, essentially, um, someone else is hired to take the role. And as they carry out their job, they discover that, well, they told me no one lives under the lighthouse, but that wasn't true. There is something here. And it is not friendly. And then the cycle continues. The lighthouse keeper disappears. And then they hire a new one. And it just continues that way. Until I think one of the endings is an ending where you do survive and you leave the island. Um, and you mm. break the cycle. But it is also possible to continue the cycle as the current uh, up-to-date main character. Um, but yeah, a lot of time jumps later on. So that's where I kind of get the, the 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 slightly Lynchian description from. The story isn't laid out to you directly. Yeah, because Wanda Wanda seems to go back into the 1950s in the first couple episodes of WandaVision. Yeah, e exactly. Yeah. So we're we're doing time jumps back to the past to figure out like not just what happened to everybody else on this island, but really to kind of figure out the origin of the horror that lives on this island. And uh, while the space underground seems vast and impossible, um, somehow it is still real and you are still traversing it and still trying to survive against a giant monstrous beast that looks like it used to be a man. Yeah, you go into Quake, basically, at the in, in the end of the game. Like it, <laughs> it, it is this massive temple. Uh, and one thing I thought was really cool was during the back half of the game when you're doing the the uh time jumps you eventually loop back to the beginning of the game but you are chasing the player character from the point of view of the monster so yeah. i think you're exactly correct it's a cycle and you eventually either become the one with the monster maybe it's a hive mind i don't know i'm totally speculating here uh or it just kills you it, it was pretty scary honestly there was a i had a couple really cool like like spine tingling moments um one of which was it's one of the first times you actually see the monster. You can finally get into the basement. Uh, and I started 
running down the hallway and I heard a noise and I turned around and it just was charging at me and it killed me. And it turns out you're just supposed to keep running. But I thought it was cool that it actually spawned behind you. <laughs> like it's, it's there. Right. Uh, it was pretty cool. And that was the first time I got a really good look at it. And it's like almost like a spider like thing. It, it, it has the torso of what looks like a man. Um, but all these legs and its mouth, it, its chest is a big mouth. Like the thing. Yeah, it looks like a design that would be right at home in The Thing, and uh, it uh, it also reminds me a lot of the gaping dragon from Dark Souls, because uh, it has a similar like mouth design. But um, it, it is a fun twist on that uh, that horrific, oh, I'm being chased by a monster sequence where um, when those things happen throughout the entire game, they always happen from the perspective of the monster itself and not from your perspective. So even though you're controlling your character in the first few sequences, um, you watch the game through the eyes of the monster, even though you're running in whatever direction, which also hilariously, as you run to take shelter from the monster, uh, you can, you can hide in the outhouse and, uh, you can guess what that means. Um, there's an achievement for that, but, uh, Oh, amazing. Later on, you do those same sequences again, the exact same ones, except now you're controlling the monster and the player character that was you is uh, running on his own. Um, so it's not really like a jump scary type of game. This is a slow burn that has a few very unsettling mm -hmm. moments, a lot of like intriguing, mysterious stuff going on as uh, you definitely quickly learn that something's not right. And if the game is titled, no one lives under the lighthouse, then surely someone must. And uh, before you know it, you're being chased around the Island by Something that you can barely see. You can just see tendrils hanging in front of its eyes that uh, indicate that this is not something that you're familiar with and seems hostile. The chases were a little weird for me because it, it was actually one of the few parts of the game where I thought it felt really clunky because it starts from the point of view of the monster and the monster's charging you. And, and so you have like kind of a second to calibrate yourself, but I never quite got the hang of like controlling the player character from the point of view of the monster just always felt a little weird. The only reason it's not a sour is because, uh, I don't know if you saw this, but after a few failed attempts, it just gives you the option to skip the chase. Yeah. That, and that is I did a, that. That is a <laughs> thing. I kept getting caught on the, the turn into the cabin. I kept running into the window and like not timing it just right. And then it, it was just a little weird. Um, but I think the skip option makes that little experiment worth it. Yeah. I, I think from, at least from my experience, it seems like if you just keep running, it can't catch up to you. Um, maybe if you run for too long, it can, I, I don't know. I haven't tried that, but you're right. It is a little wonky at, at first to get used to it, especially because one of those chase sequences starts with you facing the monster and you have to turn around to run away from it. Um, mm -hmm. And the act of turning around and running away is a little bit less intuitive because you're not in your own perspective. You're in the monster's perspective. Right. So if you just keep running forward as most of the chases really start out in that way where the monster's behind you 
you're facing forward away from the monster so you can just easily run forward um this one you have to turn around like immediately and if you don't get it in time the monster gets you um but uh for some i could see it being like a little bit challenging because you've been playing this game from a first person perspective the entire time until this moment and um you're kind of playing in a way uh, a, a tank uh controls type game because um you can't change the camera angle the way that you normally would you just kind of like turn left and right you don't strafe yeah so it's a little bit weird but um these these moments are really short and as yeah, you said you, sure. can, you can skip them so uh it, it seems like it's a solid scare and the dev even acknowledged that well if someone has a challenge playing this section then i don't hold anything against them to just continue with the game the narrative experience is really where i think this game shines the most it's those like ambient scares and the uh the build-up to the chase that is more important arguably yes i would agree like the before and the after which is really where the game thrives is the build up and then your character uh, uh, in some cases literally cleaning up the mess or patching up the house uh, and sort of just dealing with it because where else can you go? You're on this island. You're supposed to watch the lighthouse. And I did find the rhythm of the lighthouse simulator, as you put it, pretty satisfying, like knowing every night it's like, oh, I got to go get my oil. I got to go fill it up. I got to I got to get the lighthouse on. Uh, cause that's my job. The only comfort in this game is the routine of operating the lighthouse and occasionally yeah. things will happen. Like, uh, the monster cuts the, the rope that holds the counterweights and you have to get a new rope and new counterweights from the shed, which you haven't even seen the monster yet, but it, you know, that something is there. And so the trek yeah, almost to the, immediately. <laughs> the trek to the shed and back becomes dreadful because you know something is there that did this. And then on the very last trip, that's the first time the monster appears, I believe. But then um the it, the monster also uh seems to sabotage your house, putting a hole through the roof. And um there's a lot of little things to to explore where each day there's Something that either gives you an achievement if you if you explore uh, enough, and there are some things that are totally optional, like there are medallions that you can find around the island that open a mm -hmm. chest in your home. If you happen to open that chest, did you find them all? I did. If you happen to open that chest, you're rewarded with a shotgun and two shotgun shells, and uh, you can then fight back against the monster if you please. Um, one of the endings is just killing the monster and uh another ending is escaping without killing the monster and then i think the third ending is being killed by the monster or being taken by the monster so out of that i think one of those is the good ending and you get off the island at the end you row the boat to safety and then another is uh you're just kind of there you continue your job and then the last one, I believe, is the cycle continues and you are now the monster. Um, w since we talked a lot about the narrative aspect of this game, I really want to highlight the presentation. Because I mm -hmm. mentioned before, this is like a PlayStation 1 graphic style game. 
Um, you have pixel dithering. You've got low polygon counts. It's got it all. It's even got some warbly textures here and there, and and they're they're wonderful. Uh, but in addition to its visual style, which is, um, I, I think, out of a lot of PlayStation style games that come out these days this one's really solid i like it a lot the colors the the design of everything is really great and then um on top of that the direction of like the camera work is phenomenal you start out with lighting the lighthouse at night and then it shows you this wide shot of the island as the lighthouse uh, light spins in the darkness and then it match cuts to the same shot in in the morning. And uh, it's just really mm. nice. There's a couple different match cuts like that where um, you transition from night to day seamlessly that are fantastic. And then in addition to that, during the period where you're jumping back and forth between different moments of time, it's mostly a presentation thing. Your character isn't literally traveling through time. Just you, the player are being inserted into different periods of time to tell the story, tell the full story uh, in its own way. And one of the ways that it ends up doing that is there, I think one of the most powerful moments of the game to me is when you take the perspective of the man who is bringing the lighthouse keeper to the Island in the rowboat. And then the only option you have in the game at that moment is to row away from shore and go back to where you came from so you activate the oars and you row a little bit and you just keep rowing and then it cuts to being underground in the temple and you're doing something there or you've your 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 lights are going out and it's your final moments as you you fade to black as that character and then it might jump to the, the village that once existed on the island mm-hmm. and then back to the rowboat as you row away, having left the, the newest lighthouse keeper on the island, most certainly to his doom, as you are probably aware as you row away. Just those cuts jumping from those different scenes and then the match cuts in a lot of scenes where you get these wonderful transitions. This game feels like a cinematic experience despite its low mm-hmm. polygon count, that is really fun and really well made. I, I think the the people behind this one just knocked it out of the park with in terms of like a a real cinematic horror experience that uh is is short and sweet. I agree. I had a lot of fun with this one. And I loved the way it looked. I, I I'll be honest, I wasn't sure if the graphic style would win me over or not, but it did almost immediately. Uh it was it was so so charming yeah did you did you look in the mirror to see what the the lighthouse keeper mm-hmm. looked like he's just like this yeah. real blocky man with uh with a uniform on looking real formal uh and, yep. and and then in addition to all the stuff that you can do through the day it's optional to clean up the mess in your house yeah <laughs> it's optional to put the the cross back on the uh the doorway arch um it's optional to do quite a lot of things that in some cases benefit you and in other cases, that might just be for the achievement. You know, you, you want to tidy up your home because it's your home and you don't live in a mess. Sure. Right. Um, but the, the game kind of rewards you for that. Achievements are not everybody's cup of tea. But personally, of course, you all can probably already guess I, I went to get all of them and I did. 
because um, this is such a short game that uh, playing through it once go- goes by pretty quickly. I think like two to three hours. Mm-hmm. Um, if you really sit down and hammer it out, you can you can beat the game in that time. But then going through to the other endings, uh, you, you can add a few more hours of playtime. I think in total, I spent four, maybe four and a half hours playing this game. And, that sounds about right. Yeah. You know, I got to say it was worth the price of admission to me. I think so, too. I, I really. I, yeah. I, I don't have anything too uh, um, like critical to say about it. So just for the sake of the ritual, should we dip into the sour? <laughs> it seems like like that's the time to do it. <laughs> okay. Uh, welcome to the sour. We think we talk about the things we didn't like or love so much about No One Lives Under the Lighthouse. Honestly, if I had to say one. And, and this is p- obviously very subjective. I think the pacing in like the final act when you're rapidly going back and forth in the present and the past and the present again and then the past again, it's just a little weird, but not weird enough where it was like a deal breaker or bad. And, and again, that's just me. You might disagree. Other people playing might think it feels perfect. Uh, and that just is what it is. Because it wasn't even that it was uninteresting. I think it was just there's so many of them that for me, it reached almost a uh, almost comical at a point where I was like, OK, we're doing this again. All right. We're back here and we're back in the village and I'm doing this. And oh, now I'm back in this temple and I'm I'm figuring out the maze and I'm running. Oh, I, I should. I love that sequence in the maze where you're like running from the thing and you have to kind of try to like you have like a map in your mind. There's no map in the game. So you have to try to log where the monster is at any point. Um, and you have to pick up the medallions. Yeah, I know we're in the sour, but I should give a shout out to that. But yeah, so I guess story pacing uh, for a little bit, it dipped at the end for me, but not in a way that I found frustrating or uh, wanted to stop playing. Yeah, I think this game doesn't really pick up in terms of pacing throughout. It kind of stays in this um, slow burn pace that is really effective in the first half. And then if, if I were to give it any criticism similar to that, I think some of the temple sections are a little bit lengthy. Um, yeah, you can you can sprint in this game, but you have a limited stamina. So eventually you do slow down. And if you run out of stamina, I think you even walk a little slower than your normal walking speed. So once you get to the temple, there are some long hallways that you have to run through and there's really nothing there. Um, yeah. And most of the time. You're just kind of sprinting, running out of breath, and then repeating that process until you get to the gameplay. And uh, since I played this game more than once on my follow-up playthroughs, that was the area that I definitely felt dragged the most was I'm just running through level geometry and there's nothing threatening. <laughs> there's nothing you know, going to jump out at me. Uh, there is a puzzle at the end of the hallway, but first I have to run all the way to the end of the hallway to get there. Is that something that serves a purpose? Or could the hallway be much shorter? And uh, the experience would therefore be a little shorter. But you kind of have to wonder, is that a uh, a thing worth doing? Since it's already a pretty short game. Yeah, I, I guess a shared complaint we have, a very mild one at that, is to maybe just tighten up the last act of this game. Just a little bit of trimming, a little bit of editing. And I think it's very little things. Like, some yeah. level geometry is a little bit lengthy, and it doesn't really need to be... Um, cause there's like the, the, the room underneath the lighthouse, the cellar, it elicits this sense of dread and, and, and this like uncanny feeling and it's a tiny room 
it's not a very long hallway. And the long hallways, I think, are supposed to do something like that because, like, you're 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 wandering in this unknown place and you don't know what might creep out at you in the darkness uh, since you haven't played it before. But once you get to the end and you realize that there's really nothing there, um, that area just kind of becomes a bit of a chore. And then once you get to the good stuff in the temple, which is the maze and collecting the medallions while running away from the monster, as you said, that's where it starts to get really good. And then there's like an arena fight yeah. against the monster where you can either choose to, to shoot it to death or just run away from it. And the only option to run away is to jump in a pit in the middle of the room. And then you get to do the reverse as the monster. You fight the player character, which is, which really is pretty cool. cool. That's really cool. Hey, hey, what's what's this? What's all the sweet doing in the sour? <laughs> yeah, I guess. Uh, I don't know. But you're right. I, I, when, with the hallways, I was I was also thinking of the hallway under the lighthouse before the temple. That to me is is a much more striking set piece. The few times you get to go into it, because seeing the outline of someone in the darkness and running to them and then getting there and seeing they're not there is scarier than running down running through a quake empty quake map <laughs> yeah they needed to populate the map a little bit it wasn't done yet <laughs> well are we done with the sour i think so yeah i think we're done with the sour let's go to the sauce Folks, welcome to the sauce where we give the game our final rating. Um, Michaela, I know we talked about maybe moving away from number ratings. Do you want to do that now or do you still want to just maybe? Um, I, I think we're going to move away from doing numbers uh, for how we feel about games in, in, in the end. And um, the way that I'm going to do that for No One Lives Under the Lighthouse is uh, I will say whether or not I would stick around and keep the lighthouse in operation. And, and for this game, I absolutely would. This game was a joy. It was a blast. It was spooky. It was scary. And uh, it was short. So uh, it's a really like non-taxing experience to pick up and play. I think this is a really effective game. And I really love seeing more games of this kind. Short games that have like a very uh, confined and, and tight experience built around them. Uh, I just, I just adore that. And you know, the, the Sonic meme where it's like, I want to see more, uh, more games. I want to see shorter games that made for less money with the developers being paid more. And I think this is the kind of game that would be that in my mind. It's a shorter game. It's made by some indie yeah, devs right. and it's not terribly expensive. Like it's not 60 bucks for a two hour experience, but, uh, I think the price is set by them and it, it can be pretty fair. So, um, I would definitely recommend playing No One Lives Under the Lighthouse if you like PlayStation aesthetic and if you like spooky games that are kind of a slow burn and a little bit mysterious. If I can go on a quick tangent real quick uh, before I offer my final review. Have you been following that Gotham Knights game coming out at all? Not at all. <laughs> okay, so it's it comes out in like a week, I think. Uh, I believe they actually moved it up to not compete with God of War, which is probably a smart move. Uh, <laughs> and ever since it's like, like for the last year, anything that's come out of it, in my opinion, it's been kind of unfairly criticized. Like, I don't think it looks that bad. Um, but now as it's closer, I think it's going to fall into the, the mid range. Um, but I think it'll still be fun. But one of the things that recently came out and they announced it last Friday night in their official discord server. So, uh, in case you don't know, bad news is always announced over the weekend. 
Friday evening is always when, if it's movies, if it's games, whatever, they announce it on Friday night. Uh, and then also to do it in their Discord server, like this was them really trying to contain this. They announced that there will be no 60 FPS um, option, even on on uh, PS5 and Xbox One. Is that the current Xbox? I should probably know that. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Xbox One X? I forgot. I have no clue. Microsoft, what the hell? Yeah, just current gen uh, hardware. And, and people were a little annoyed because um i mean i don't think 30 frames per second is unplayable but i, I get it having a console that can do 60 i i notice we've talked about that on the show before and um it is weird too because they canceled it for last gen hardware they canceled it for ps4 and whatever the last xbox was called uh and uh people were you know perhaps overreacting to that of course i, I mean we've gone on the record enough to say don't be a freak uh but i saw uh, someone coming to the defense of Gotham Knights, and this is what you talking about the Sonic meme made me think of this, uh, and they said something. Basically, they were saying, like, you know, increasing frame rate is not as simple as flipping a switch. Uh, you know, there's you got to take into account environmental effects, enemies, you know, graphic latency, things like that. And and maybe there's someone out there that needs to hear that. Sure. Maybe someone needs to go like, well, they're not just choosing to lock the frame rate like there's technical limitations they have to consider. But it reminded me like like the this particular person who was coming to their defense was listing off all these like next gen gameplay features. And I'm just like, but did we ask for that? (laughs) Like that's the whole point of performance modes, right? As you go, I'm okay with the game looking a little worse. I'd rather it run really smooth. Yeah. I, I think, um, from the details of the announcement that you shared, it sounds like they ran into some real technical hurdles with the game and like the previous gen, uh, versions of them being canceled. Maybe the hardware couldn't run it. Maybe they couldn't get it running on the hardware with how taxing the game will be. And then with it being cut from like no 36, uh, 30 to 60 FPS, that whole thing, you got to consider that the computer has to render twice as many right. frames. And that can be uh, challenging to do and keep stable. But at the same time, I do suppose it was only a matter of time before a game would look at the kind of power that current generation of video games can can accomplish where you know you know how the PlayStation 5 boasts this uh you know no game has a loading screen it just loads it instantly it's so fast it's only going to be a matter of time before some developer creates a game that will have a loading screen because it uses that much power and right. the the returns on how amazing you can make this be is really diminishing Maybe that's what happened here. They went for 60, but they couldn't quite get it. And in order to keep the game running in a an acceptable way without any sort of uh, issues and crashes, it had to be 30. And that's just what it is. Yeah, could be. Um, anyway, that's the end of that little tangent. No one lives under the lighthouse. I also would recommend this. I think it is a, uh, a very, very fun and well-made and well-crafted bite-sized horror game uh that is not so intense that it is you know off-putting to some i think really this game has pretty broad appeal i think the only potential hurdle is if for the more casual player they might not like that art style but you'll get over it it's cool (laughs) it looks really good and just look past that uh you know recognize the the artistic merit and intent behind that that it's a very deliberate choice uh and uh you're gonna find a game that's very very good and fun to play and i would keep the lighthouse operating 
Excellent. Yeah, it's also a short game. So if it doesn't like if it doesn't interest you visually, then you won't be with it for very long. No. And I think like I've I've mentioned this with the when we've played the demo discs, I think the smartest thing game devs that are working in this space do is they create games that look like they're from an old era, but feel like they're in the present day. And I think people that translates into a better experience for people. Uh, and, and the graphical fidelity just becomes an afterthought when it feels so, so crisp and responsive. Yeah. I personally love the, the PlayStation one look. I love mm-hmm. the Nintendo 64 look, and it's definitely a byproduct of having grown up with those games and a little bit of nostalgia sprinkled on top. Um, having like modern control schemes along with it are always a, a plus, I think, because we have a lot of amenities with games today that we take for granted that games of yesteryear didn't quite have. Autosave and you know the kind of uniform standard control schemes that some games follow. So... That and this game, I believe, came out of the Haunted PS1 community, which is like incredible. Uh, we've we've played cool. those Haunted Discs a couple times, and uh, we've talked a little bit about games from those those demo discs that uh, we would be interested in playing the full version of. And I think here we are with our very first uh, full version of a game that once came out of that community. So, Absolutely. Um, that is, I think, incredible. And I, I have just been absolutely ecstatic to see more from the haunted ps1 community because uh it's it's been fantastic so far and uh everybody involved seems to be incredibly creative and talented and uh passionate about making things that are really fun and really spooky which to me are two of the most important things hell yeah well this is a treat we have for the first time a spooky caleb's corner Oh, hell yes. I'm so excited to hear what Caleb has to say. Let's throw it to our friend Caleb. Regrettably, I do not have the receipts of this conversation, but during the surprise mechanics spooky season of 2021, I submitted an inquiring message that read, Spooky Mechanics, Deltarune, when? Followed by a reply from Roman that simply read, 2022. Yet here we are in the 2022 Spooky Mechanics run. And there is still no mention of Deltarune. I don't see what the holdup is. Deltarune is free. But it's as much of a cause for entertainment and conversation as a full-priced game so far. In fact, it's only made me appreciate the legacy behind it more. Despite the abyss of the Mother and Undertale following being what it is... Deltarune is decidedly not influenced by the community, but rather remains an innocent, simple, perfectly lovable adventure that continues to focus purely on the core of what made its predecessor special, 
while still continuing to vastly improve on them in a lot of ways. So, loyal listeners, I guess it's up to us now. We must all play Deltarune and pester Roman and Michaela en masse until they feel forced to start it up. I did mention that it's free, right? hell was that uh i mean yeah like i guess he's got a point but like we'll get around to it some i don't even know what he's talking about usually he just talks about like i don't know spider-man or sonic the hedgehog or something like i feel like i feel like a parent Listen, is I've scolding never me. touched a rune <laughs> i feel like a parent is scolding me for not doing my chores i would never touch a rune they belong in museums okay do you know the mystical power that runes hold? I don't want to know. It's beyond my understanding. They have an entire game about it. It's called Quake. <laughs> okay, there's another. Wow, that's coming up a lot today, huh? It sure is. I guess. I guess now we have to. If we if we don't want to be ridiculed and uh, just totally outmaneuvered by Caleb, I guess we gotta play Delta Rune. Otherwise, he's just gonna keep on uh just just you know stomping us i've given up on being outmaneuvered by caleb long ago what's that <laughs> book uh, uh uh oh yeah caleb it's caleb's game he's just he, he's playing 4d chess and he's just always you know he's he's got a very tactical mind yeah caleb sees everybody's next move before it happens so yeah if you happen to see caleb in public well just be be aware he's at least four moves ahead um, so every move you take, well, he's, he's already got his plan in place. So, you know, it, <laughs> you might not be his target, but, oh, geez, it's a scary place to be. I know I've been around them. He's doing the, uh, the guy, Richie Sherlock Holmes thing, but instead of how to best disarm you, it's like, first I will ask them about their day. Then I will ask how they've been, how they're feeling. And just the best way to put you like in a good mood. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very <laughs> just wholesome be, like, way. Charming to be around. Yeah. <laughs> four moves ahead at all time well uh to close out this episode i have a little game i can talk about called the summer of 58 we've actually talked about this game before on the show because i believe it came out last year and folks may remember this was the indie horror game uh that the developer had to announce uh they were taking a hiatus because so many people purchased it and beat it in under two hours and then got their refund from Steam, despite leaving positive reviews, that this developer was was losing money on this. Yeah, that's kind of wacky. I do remember us talking about that. And for a, for a game like this, I don't think it's very cool. I mean, I, I like long games. I like short games. If the game has solid pacing and it keeps me uh, engaged, then that's all that really matters. And um, I'm pretty sure they didn't sell this game for a full $60 price tag or by today's standards, a full $70 price tag. So it's a little bit cruel to, you know, enjoy your experience and then just take your money back. Um, it doesn't support the devs right. and, and, you know, it kind of puts them in a compromising position. Yeah, it's $10 regular price and it was on sale shortly after launch for $7. 
The only place I've ever seen anything like this feel remotely acceptable is I have seen a few YouTube videos of people who like complete a game like Resident Evil 2, including all of its achievements in under two hours and then refund it on an alternate account uh, to see if they could beat the time challenge of doing that <laughs> that's also capcom right yeah 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 <laughs> yeah um and, and they already own the game they already paid for the game and they have the game on their main account so really I'm, I'm really just talking about a game that is designed to be two hours long or less sure i guess it's within a refund time that you could do that and you could get your money back but like honestly when you do that you're just kind of hurting somebody else who gave you a good experience so that's kind of messed up bro um and on top of that, I, I really don't think that every game has to be super long and uh, we, we should definitely not do that to people because then they can't make interesting and fun games and we're only left with games made by big studios that, I mean, let's be real, they're not always great, are they? Right. I, a, a common defense I saw, and this is now no longer accurate because I believe the Steam page states this, but when the game first came out, it wasn't clearly listed that it was a short experience, but in general, I, I don't care. I, th I do think it's weird to finish a game and then get a refund. Uh, even if you, even if you didn't like it, I just think that's like kind of strange behavior. The original portal was very short and I think it was about two, three hours, maybe four. And, uh, I think for most games, especially AAA games that, you know, you're going to get at least maybe 10 to 20 hours out of at minimum, the two hour refund window makes sense but for shorter games i would even argue like no one lives under the lighthouse someone yeah. could potentially beat that in under two hours and then refund it and then you know there's another case of the same thing happening these shorter games i think they need a different metric for you know how would you go about this and uh because it, it it's a little bit broken if your game is designed to be short and people might even know that going in and then they essentially play it for free because they have the agency to refund it um, because of that system. So the system works great for big games where maybe in two hours you know that eh, it's not for me and I made a mistake. And uh, for smaller games like this, it's it's much more difficult to to manage because for some people it could be their livelihood. And, you know, yeah, I played a game for free, but... I also made someone starve to do it, and I don't really like that. So I think right. Steam and Valve should uh, really re-examine this system for the sake of indie games and, and for shorter games that exist on its platform, because I think those games deserve a fair shake, too. So to talk about Summer of 58, outside of all that, just as a game, uh, basically you play as a, a YouTuber who has a channel devoted to investigating like paranormal sites and, and supposedly haunted places. And your subscribers have requested you to go to this abandoned camp in Russia where there was allegedly this like big massacre and it's supposed to be really haunted. So you go there and you board yourself into quote unquote, uh, take away the temptation of fleeing, which is like a perfect setup. That's just goofy enough. Like I'm so on board as a production. This is incredibly impressive for a, I believe it's mostly a one-person team. One person built this game. Uh, it looks great. The sound design is, I think, the best thing this game has going for it. I played it with headphones like it recommended, and uh, 
It's pretty scary. Straight up. You hear a lot of stuff through the walls. You hear stuff behind you. Uh, it's good. Um, and, you know, you you unravel the mystery of what happened at this place and you document it as best you can. We talked about jump scares in our last episode. That is basically what this game is. Uh, there are some that are really well done. In my opinion, the most memorable jump scares are the ones that actually happen in the distance. You see someone run through a hallway or something, especially if it's the direction you have to be heading in. Um, but there is a lot of like you getting rushed by things. There's one in particular that's really memorable where you're looking at an item you you picked up and all of a sudden you see start seeing like black water drip in front of you. And when you look up, there's something on the ceiling. Uh, I beat the game in about 90 minutes by the end of that 90 minute run. I was over the jump scares. It went from scary to just stop. <laughs> just like <laughs> cut it out, please. It, the game is a little bit of a one trick pony in that regard. And then on top of that, it does kind of end rather abruptly. So, you know, I, I, I kind of have mixed feelings about this one. Um, one thing that I, I did find kind of charming is, uh, the English in this game is not super grammatically correct. Uh, uh, it, it's a little bit broken. And again, this is from a small team. I'm kind of like, no, I don't mind that so much. I, I really do mean that I found that kind of charming. Um, cause it's not that even the story was that bad, but it did reach a point at the end where I kind of had a hard time telling what was going on. Um, and it, it is what it is, you know, whatever, what are you going to do? Uh, and I still don't quite understand what happened at the end. Cause I think you might've changed characters, but I'm not sure. Um, but that being said, the last scare of the game is one of the best scares of the game. So if they were to make another one, I probably would play it. Now, would I recommend it? I think I would because it is so, it, it, it's pretty affordable. And if you're like me and you just like all types of horror stuff and, uh, looking at this, like a movie, you know, this is a different scary movie you can watch if you've never seen it. And it could be a lot of fun, especially if it's like you and a group of friends, you know, all gathered around a computer or something playing this. I think that could be a, a lot of fun. Um, I personally don't know if I'll ever replay it, but I also think that's OK. I don't think replayability needs to be the only thing we focus on when we talk about this kind of stuff. Uh, and I'm happy to have played it and to support the dev. Um, I was reading that the dev after they made that announcement, they did get a lot of support. Um, um, people like me who bought it just as like a, 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 a sign of support. Uh, so I hope uh, that they're able to make another one if they want to, or just make whatever they want next. Cause I do think the the craft, the actual game design was pretty solid. It looked great. It sounded great. It played great. Uh, it was more just like the, some of the narrative stuff. I, I, you know, could have perhaps been strengthened, maybe perhaps get like a writing partner or something to help sharpen some of the edges. I, I was going to ask if you would refund it. And I think you you answered that question already. So <laughs> no, I beat it. I'm not going to rebut it. That's that's <laughs> psycho. <laughs> I did just go on a big soapbox about it, but yeah. Um, no, it sounds kind of neat. And I got to say, I I love how many small games are out there now uh, because we have so many like really lengthy games. AAA games are always trying to push the the total play time in in the form of hours up and up and up right. and up. And, games um, as a service they're never ending 
Yeah, and and I don't really like the idea of dedicating all of my gaming time to one particular game just to be good at it or to uh, be proficient. And um, I, I really like to, to play a variety of games. And uh, these indie devs are making that even more possible with every project that they do. So I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to them for what they do. And I hope that they get that kind of support that they need because uh, at, at that level, you're not really raking in millions of dollars probably you're probably just you know getting by and doing your thing as if you know you were going to an office for a day job so uh i i personally love that uh these types of games are out there and i'm I'm really curious to check this one out i guess this might be the time to wrap it up and and say we'll see you in the next one we will for the final episode of spooky mechanics 2k22 don't don't scare yourself before it, it we before next week otherwise i don't know you'll be too scared to see the the finale of spooky mechanics it's gonna don't be, be a doozy what don't be gross don't be gross um i, I just couldn't think of a thing in time <laughs>